Before we open God's word together, let's bow our heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, it's so good to know that we have a Father who cares for us, who loves us, who provides for us, who wants the very best for us and wants us to grow into the image of his perfect Son. We're thankful that we have times like this in the quietness of this afternoon to gather around thy word, and we would pray, Heavenly Father, that thou wouldst grant unto us through the ministration of thy Spirit a, a morsel still from thy word, that we may find spiritual refreshment from it, strength for the days that lie ahead, and that thy presence would be with us now. Be with those that could not gather with us in this afternoon hour, the aged, the sick, those who have other uh, difficulties or, or trials. Be with them, Heavenly Father, and be with those also who will be traveling this evening to join us to sing praises unto thy holy name. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please turn with me to the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 18, the 18th chapter of Acts. I'd like to begin reading with the first verse. After these things, and this picks up where uh, Paul had had that famous address on Mars Hill in Athens. After that, he travels on to Corinth, and he says, After these things, Paul departed from Athens and came to Corinth and found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, lately come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because that Claudius had commanded all Jews to depart from Rome, and came unto them. And because he was of the same craft, he abode with them and wrought, for by their occupation they were tent makers. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded the Jews and the Greeks. And when Silas and Timotheus were come from Macedonia, Paul was pressed in the spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus was Christ. And when they opposed themselves and blasphemed, he shook his raiment and said unto them, your blood be upon your own heads. I am clean. From henceforth I will go unto the Gentiles. And he departed thence and entered into a certain man's house named Justice, one that worshipped God, whose house joined heart to the synagogue. And Crispus, the chief ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his house. And many of the Corinthians hearing believed and were baptized. Then spake the Lord to Paul in the night by a vision, Be not afraid, but speak, and hold not thy peace. For I am with thee, and no man shall set on thee to hurt thee, for I have much people in this city. And he continued there a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. And when Gallio was the deputy of Achaia, 
the Jews made insurrection with one accord against Paul and brought him to the judgment seat, saying, This fellow persuadeth men to worship God contrary to the law. And when Paul was now about to open his mouth, Gallio said unto the Jews, If it were a matter of wrong or wicked lewdness, O ye Jews, reason would that I should bear with you. But if it be a question of words and names and of your law, look ye to it, for I will be no judge of such matters. And he drave them from the judgment seat. Then all the Greeks took Sosthenes, the chief ruler of the synagogue, and beat him before the judgment seat, and Gallio cared for none of those things. And Paul, after this, tarried there yet a good while, and then took his leave of the brethren, and sailed thence into Syria, and with him Priscilla and Aquila, having shorn his head in Sancria, for he had a vow. And he came to Ephesus, and left them there. But he himself entered into the synagogue, and reasoned with the Jews. When they desired him to tarry longer time with them, he consented not, but bade them farewell, saying, I must by all means keep this feast that cometh in Jerusalem, for I will return again with unto you, if God will. And he sailed from Ephesus. And when he had landed at Caesarea and gone up and saluted the church, he went down to Antioch. And after he had spent some time there, he departed and went over all the country of Galatia and Phrygia in order, strengthening all the disciples. And a certain Jew named Apollos, born at Alexandria, an eloquent man and mighty in the scriptures, came to Ephesus. This man was instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in the spirit, he spake and taught diligently the things of the Lord, knowing only the baptism of John. And he began to speak boldly in the synagogue, whom, when Aquila and Priscilla had heard, they took him unto them and expounded unto him the way of God more perfectly. And when he was disposed to pass into Achaia, the brethren wrote, exhorting the disciples to receive him, who, when he was come, helped them much which had believed through grace. And he mightily convinced the Jews, and that publicly, showing by the scriptures that Jesus was Christ. I've read the entire chapter. I marvel that uh, almost 2,000 years now later than when this account was written, it still has such a freshness, a poignancy to it that makes it seem like it happened just in, in recent memory. These are the eyewitness accounts of the disciple Luke, who was the travel companion of Paul, the beloved physician according to scripture, and he has a great eye for detail, and it's so interesting. You know, those that would like to apply revisionist history to the Bible, I I wonder what they make of some of this. We are told that Apollos was a mighty speaker We're told of the pivotal role of Priscilla and Aquila in the early church there, but no further details are really given of them. This is all the the hallmarks, I believe, of eyewitness testimony. People that would have been known to those that he was writing at, this was of course in living memory, it was a current uh, record, the the origins of some famous um, personalities in the early church, where they came from, how they came to know the Lord even though the disciple Luke 
uh, chose not to record any of the words that they actually spoke, just simply mentions of people. Again, for any serious student of history, there's no denying that the account of the early church that's given here was one that was contemporary. It was, it was out of the time. It was not something that was polished up a hundred years or a few generations later and made into some kind of a myth or legend. It has none of the hallmarks of myth or legend, simply the recording of personalities, people, facts, places, times that all match. So why was this recorded for us? Luke tells us, well, told Theophilus, that it was so that he would know of a surety the things that he had been instructed. For me, it's a sign that I am just one in a long chain of believers that stretches right back to Christ. Added into the vine, grafted into the vine, as was uh, described by the Apostle Paul, a wild olive branch is another uh, example he uses, fit in onto this very, very old root. <coughs> there is nothing about the, uh, these characters that we read about are not embellished to a point where they become unrelatable. They do not seem like the Greek gods and goddesses and demigods and heroes of, of ancient lore something other than human. These are very much people, people like you and me, people that were doing their best to follow the Lord and his leading, to spread the message of the gospel as we heard this morning, in whatever circumstances they found themselves in. And the little details that are recorded here, I find very encouraging for myself. Paul arrives in Corinth after addressing philosophers in Athens. He arrives in Corinth and he finds some fellow Jews and gets to work. This was not some kind of a theoretical religion that only had its place among the uh, intelligentsia of the ancient world. This was very much a practical life. Christianity has nothing to be embarrassed of, whether in the workshop or in the university or in the public square. The answers that it gives to the world are both uh, cohesive and coherent and timeless. If we know our Bible well enough, we should be able to point to almost an answer to almost any question that the world may be grappling with and show them what the Lord intended and what his solution is, what is the best way. Yesterday we were here working at church and I was very, very thankful to see so many of the young people come out and to pitch in. That really uh, is, a, is an encouragement to me. It shows a continuity, I think, uh, in the Christian church, much like we see here in Acts, that this, this passing on of roles and instructing that went along with it so healthy, it's so good, I think, that this happens. And 
I could picture the Apostle Paul being here also with a shovel in hand, helping out if he had been in our church at the time. He was not above physical labor. His hands had calluses. His, uh, his work experience was often called upon to provide for himself and even for his companions sometimes. Honest work is a good answer or a good uh, um, occupation, a good, a good way to use our energies. And it removes us from those who have made gain of the gospel of Christ. There have been those in the past that have abused their position as so-called preachers of the gospel and instead have lined their pockets. And I'm thankful to see that the Apostle Paul said, even though that was available to him, not that we shouldn't support people monetarily who are doing the Lord's work, but he would not take that opportunity lest someone would take that and twist it, make it out that he had been profiting somehow from preaching the gospel. And after a full, day of work, uh, full week of work, I should say, the Apostle Paul went then to the synagogues and reasoned with those who were taught out of the law. And, you know, I wish some of those conversations maybe were recorded for us. Maybe some of it wouldn't be all that interesting, but I'm sure there would be some real nuggets in there. Perhaps there had been some fascinating things that were brought up. Uh, I'd like to know, you know, it says when, when Priscilla and, and, and uh, Aquila were there and he, he met with them and he worked with them, I wonder what sort of conversations went on while they were busy working together in the shop there. So they were tent makers, making sails, I think, for, for ships, uh, as well as other things out of large pieces of material, I suppose. But what, what, were the, what were the topics of conversation? What are the things that they said? And I can draw parallels between the conversations that I've had with brothers and sisters when we've been working together as well. <clears throat> but when it was time for church, when it was time to gather together with the believers, Paul was there, and my guess is he was probably early, ready to speak about the things that the Lord had shown him and to listen also to what the Lord had revealed to others. I don't think Paul was a know-it-all. He demonstrates incredible humility in his letters when he writes, and you only get that by listening to others and realizing that they must have something worthwhile to say as well. So he reasoned every Sabbath and persuaded the Jews and the Greeks. Reasoning is good. Speaking together about the things of the Lord are good. Having answers are good. But they are not enough. And if you, I don't know if you noticed that, but towards the end of what we read, one of the mighty uh, speakers of the early church was this one named Apollos. And it says of him, I like the way that the scripture records this. <clears throat> you know, it, he, he went to, traveled as an evangelist would uh, to the different churches to, to, 
to preach and to speak and to encourage the brethren. It says, And when he was disposed to pass into Achaia, the brethren wrote, exhorting the disciples to receive him, who, when he was come, this is Apollos, helped them much which had believed through grace. The believing is through grace. The reason helps, but the believing must first and foremost be through grace. To believe is a, is a moral act, is a spiritual act. It's to realize, first of all, that what God says about you is true. Second, that what he says about himself must also be true. And third, is to believe the solution that he brings to your problem. That's belief in a nutshell. And that is a moral decision. It's not one that's based on elaborate reasoning. My children know when they've done something wrong. I can see it in their faces and they have an uneasiness about them. I don't have to engage in some protracted moral argument to try to explain what they've done is wrong. They know it's wrong. Are they going to accept it is the question. Discipline is there to help point them the right way. It's the same way with us. When we realize that God's grace has been extended out to us even to believe, then we're ready to make progress with God. Now we're ready to start going somewhere. If you wish to approach that point only through reason, it won't work. All the reason can be on your side, and yet the solution to your problem will still evade you. I know because I tried. I knew that Christianity was good. I knew that it, was, it, it led to a desirable lifestyle, a stable family, happy children, a good life. I knew all of those things, and yet could do nothing for me, not until I humbled myself and believed. There comes a point when we're speaking with people that we simply need to break off speaking. I once heard an interesting question. You know, on the night before Christ's death, he was taken from ruler to ruler. He was taken from Pontius to Herod. Back to Pontius again. And for Herod, he spoke not a word. And the question was, why did Jesus say nothing to Herod? And the answer is a simple one, but it made me stop and think, because God had nothing to say to Herod. Christ only spoke those things he heard from his father, and his father didn't give him anything to say to that Idumean king who should have known better, who heard the preaching of John the Baptist in his own palace for quite some time. So there comes a point where God is done speaking to someone, we don't know when that point is. And so we can never write off anyone altogether. But there comes a point when there isn't, when it's not appropriate any longer to speak. And these Jews 
perhaps because it represented a, a challenge to their position. It says, they contradicted him and blasphemed. And at that point, Paul said, okay, I've come, I've spoken to you as the Lord required me. Now you will not hear. And he didn't leave it there. He went then to the Gentiles and spoke to them. And there it's so interesting to see how when the Lord's, it's not that the the, the word of the Lord or the invitation of the Lord or the gospel of the Lord is ineffective. We can make it ineffective to ourselves, but its power becomes revealed when it, when that same seed is sown into ground that's ready to receive it. It says he entered into a certain man's house named Justice, one that worshiped God, whose house joined hard to the synagogue. It was right next to the synagogue. And Crispus, the chief ruler of the synagogue, he also believed and his house. This touches back to that thing that I've mentioned before where Christ said, you that love to receive honor one of another, you cannot believe. For the one who was willing to relinquish honor and didn't care anymore what people might think of him for believing in this gospel that Paul was preaching, he could believe. And he could turn away from that prominent position in the synagogue without a backward look. As a result, his whole house was saved. When there's a single-minded following of the Lord Jesus, the fruit of salvation comes behind that. I always find it interesting to see how in these narratives there the supernatural is woven in among the more mundane. Then spake the Lord to Paul in the, in the night by a vision, be not afraid, but speak, and hold not thy peace, for I am with thee, and no man shall set on thee to hurt thee, for I have much people in this city. I've never heard the Lord speak to me, not in an audible way. I'd like to, but perhaps I'm not really ready for that yet, and the Lord knows. But the voice was unmistakable, and I love that phrase that's in there, for I have much people in this city. But do you realize that that was tied to Paul speaking? He said, don't hold your peace, speak. I have much people in this city that need to hear you speak. This wasn't a fatalistic attitude. It was a, an encouragement to a preacher of the word of God that there would be fruit to come. But he, didn't, he wasn't to slack off. He wasn't to, uh, to stop the work that he was, he was doing. And we see the result of that. Even in these things that we read, and we read next about the, uh, the uh, bringing uh, Paul and, and the, 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 the Jewish leaders before the magistrates, so on. We see very imperfectly there are, there are things in, in, in God's plan that are hidden and he expects us simply to obey. 
the Lord told the Apostle Paul that no man would hurt him at this time. Now, there was other times where that was not true. He talks about being stoned and about suffering shipwreck and, and being beaten. So don't take this verse out of context and think, well, if I'm preaching God's word, I'm going to escape uh, uh, physical uh, uh, punishment or difficulty. That certainly wasn't the case. But the thing that I take from this is that there is never an excuse to hold back from speaking other than if the Lord has not given it to those people to hear as, as the ones that blasphemed. Paul uh, was, was single-minded in his uh, presentation of the gospel. He, he never wasted an opportunity, even in prison. It's, it, we read in, in his, his other letters how there were those that were in Caesar's household that, that uh, had been converted by his preaching in prison. And this to me is a, um, an encouragement, I guess, and an admonition as well that regardless of the circumstance, whether there's going to be uh, any kind of consequence or repercussion for my speaking, I need to speak as the Lord directs, not stridently, not uh, to cause difficulty, but to simply present the truth in love that others may hear and believe because I don't know how many people around me are the Lord's just waiting to hear the gospel. Now, from this account, we read about the, uh, the start of the church in Corinth. But if we keep reading in the scripture, we see how things weren't always smooth sailing in Corinth either. The Apostle Paul had to write many letters to bring about correction and encouragement. And even after he was gone, it didn't stop. I, I have in my little library at home a book of writings of the early church fathers. And in there, there are the letters of the Bishop of Rome, whose name was Clement in the early church. And he writes also letters to the Corinthian believers to encourage them to return to the things that they had heard preached by the beloved Apostle Paul. What we say matters. And even after we are gone, our words can have an effect. And I'm thankful that even though the church in Corinth had many problems, that those letters are recorded for us to learn so that we can see what the proper response is to uh, wrong decisions or wrong attitudes, that we can learn from their mistakes, that we can see how patient the Lord was with that congregation. It wasn't a three strikes and you're out scenario. It was a gentle calling again and again, and we see this, the heart, the, the same father heart that was demonstrated in the Old Testament toward his chosen people, also in the New the same God that reaches out again and again in love to the wayward children of Israel does the same to this church in Corinth that had so many problems. And I need to be careful that I don't write people off or put everyone in the same bucket. Oh, they're from that church or they're from this area or from that group. No. They were the Lord's people that needed to hear the word.
and that never changes. May the Lord add whatever was lacking to what was said, and may we all be unafraid to speak for him when he calls us to speak, because we do not know if the people that we are speaking to are the Lord's, and he is going to be working with them in the future. How many Apollos' might be around us that could be mighty champions for the word of God if we would speak to them? We don't know. And so we need the Lord's wisdom and guidance. We also need to be patient with one another and follow where he will lead. May the Lord add whatever was lacking to what was said. Not far from our house is a little trail, part of a network of trails. We sometimes walk it with children. Especially in the fall, one section of it has a number of apple trees that grow along it and produce nice apples. And the children like eating the apples and we check them over for worms and marks and if it looks okay, cut them up and they have apples. As I look around there, of course, those sort of apples don't grow wild like that. Those trees were planted by someone. The farmhouse of the farmer who planted those trees is long gone. His barn, if he had one, has disappeared. Just the trees are left. And I wonder sometimes where they came from and under what circumstance they were planted. I work in a small town a bit north of where we live, and I pass a couple small cemeteries along the way. One was from an old Methodist church. The other, I think it was a Presbyterian one. I stopped there once to look at some of the headstones from the 1800s, some almost obscured, some names which I still recognize from people in the area, the last name anyway, also gone and slipping away into the dusts of time. But do you realize that the book of Acts is a living book? It's the acts of the Holy Spirit through the apostles of the Lord and through his disciples. Those who have believed are part of that story how we came to know the Lord. Who told who about the gospel that resulted in a new church perhaps being formed in another city? The circumstances under which the gospel spread. All of that is known to the Lord. It's part of a continuous record. The Apostle Paul or whoever it was that wrote Hebrews writes about this cloud of witnesses. You know, here, legacy is a fickle thing. We show up for 70 years, maybe 80 if we're lucky, and then we disappear, and slowly the mark of what we did in this world is erased. The names in the book of Acts are not mentioned, to my knowledge, in any other spot, but I'd rather be among their company in that record than written down by the greatest historians of the world, to be part of the body of Christ here below, to be part of the working of the gospel, to be identified as one of God's people, 
here below that heard the gospel and then responded. We each have that decision. All of you here have that decision. Will you be true? Will you be faithful if you have accepted and followed the Lord? Or will you be counted among those that perhaps went back? As Paul had to say of Demas, that he has forsaken me, having loved this present world. Have you told someone about the gospel that resulted in perhaps another Apollos showing up on the scene? Another Fröhlich or A.B. Simpson or John or Charles Wesley? Where would the kingdom of God be without the ones that told them about the gospel? You see, there is no small role to play in this. Some are more visible than others. But there is no small role. What if there had been no Susanna Wesley to bring up John and Charles in the way that they were? What if there had been no one to instruct Susanna Wesley? Those names that have been lost to history are just as important as the ones that we still know. But the beauty of it all is that it's all recorded by the Lord. And one day, it will be proclaimed to the wonder of all the ages to see how the Lord worked, how his plan was accomplished, how the gospel spread, and how lives were changed. May the Lord add to whatever was said in weakness, and may he dismiss us also with his blessing. This concludes our service. Amen.